0: Let's take a nice deep breath in and release. So the Fillmore's were amazing people. And if they were here today, they would, they would rank in the likes of Neil Donald Walsh and um, Carolyn Mice and Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and the teachers, the modern-day teachers that we're all so familiar with. Sometimes when we reference back to Filmorian teachings, it's difficult because they come to us in the language of the 1800s. And and, and the the way of speaking was not the same as how we speak today. But this little video that I'm going to share with you um, is references Myrtle, and I think it's a good place for us to start today. So Myrtle really was the mother of unity, and we hear a lot about what Charles thought. We, we, Charles was a prolific writer. Um, after Myrtle passed away, his second wife, Cora, helped take all of his teachings and compile them, and we have many, many books. We have of many, many books by Charles, we have only a few things from Myrtle. Myrtle's healing let- letters um, were the kind of the basis of what we have from her. But it was her experience of healing that really founded the Unity Movement. And I want to share with you a couple of things. And you guys know I don't usually come back to notes, but the things that I want to share today, I want to make sure are said exactly as they were offered. So I want to. Sp- I want to share with you before we begin that that if I asked in this room what unity believes, we would have five principles that most people could recite. But you should know that those five principles were written by Myrtle's great-granddaughter. They were not written by Myrtle. They were not written by Charles. They were the sum compilation of what could be gathered from all of the teachings. And... That's a very different thing than trying to define exactly what Myrtle and Charles believed. So, this is directly from Myrtle. I do not believe in evil, I believe in good. I do not believe in sin, I believe in truth. I do not believe in want, I believe in abundance. I do not believe in death, I believe in life. I do not believe in ignorance. I believe in intelligence. There are no discords in my being. Being is peace. My faith, understanding, and love are becoming one. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put put asunder. My faith, understanding, and love are becoming one. What God, what therefore God hath put has joined together, let no man put asunder. Myrtle had a practice, and she would sit in a chair, and she would ask for the spirit of Christ to sit in the chair. She would set two chairs up and ask for the spirit of Christ to sit across from her and simply witness her practice. And what you saw in the video is very similar. She would place her hand over the part of the body that she was blessing. And she would speak health and healing into it. She would speak to that part, to her heart, to her liver, to her kidneys, to all of the organs and and parts of her body about being well, about being the perfect manifestation of the divine, about coming from the holy. Because truly, she believed that's what we were made of, that we were spirit in motion, and so she spoke to that, and she used the affirmation that she heard from E.B. Weeks, I am a child of God, and therefore I do not inherit illness. And illness for us comes in lots of different ways, doesn't it? It doesn't have to be just physical illness. It can be dis-ease in many different areas. disease of our mind, dis-ease of our heart, dissatisfaction with our life. But those are not things that we inherit through our divine connection. Those are things that we create through the way that we think. And she was a pretty miraculous woman. Not only did she use her thought and her consciousness and her determination to heal herself of tuberculosis at a time when that was just not done, when people died of what they called then consumption. But long after she healed it, when she died at 86... On a Thursday, she walked four flights of stairs up to the writer's loft at Unity where all of the writers wrote to answer prayers. And she spoke with one of the writers and, and told him that she felt she would do her greatest work from a different plane of existence, that she she felt she should leave. And she went home that weekend, spent the weekend out Uh, On the Unity farm, because at that time, Silent Unity was in downtown, and went out to the Unity farm, and on Tuesday, she went to sleep and didn't wake up. And there was no struggle and no illness and no anything, no expectation, but certainly a decision, a change of will. She practiced that will all her life. She was determined to control her thoughts and her feelings. And that was the practice. And that practice included time in silence every day to affirm and reaffirm what she chose as her truth. And she lived that from before she was 40 until she was 86 years old. Another belief you might not you might not know about, and this is a, this is a Charles belief, is that in 1895. All of unity was taught to go vegetarian. And Charles believed that as long as we continue to kill animals, that we will continue to have war because we are waging war against life. And that's a practice that has to do with living in line with what you're thinking. How you control your thoughts and what you do. That has changed a little bit. As Unity has moved over the years, although Unity still teaches vegetarianism and still it's still practiced, the only restaurant at Unity Village practices vegetarianism, um, serves only vegetarian foods. But one of the things that you'll find taught by many Unity teachers is that if we are truly practicing, if we are truly thinking our thoughts, then what we do will naturally move us toward what is right for our body, won't it? And we don't have to force ourselves to do anything. That spirit will move us if every day we are taking time with spirit and we're bringing spirit through. So you don't hear so much about it today because it's changed. Um, the way of approaching it has changed. And Charles was one of those guys that wanted us to, to look at that um, Myrtle and Charles, when they first got married, they got married in, in Missouri, and they moved to Pueblo. And they ran a real estate company in Pueblo. A lot of people don't know that they spent a lot of time in Colorado. One of the things that I discovered this summer when I was in the archives at Unity Village is that they used to come here for six-week spells to teach in Manitou, which is probably how Unity got here. We were This church was begun in 1922. And uh, during that time, they were traveling around uh, Colorado into Missouri and um, had come out of Texas. And so uh, interesting, just interesting to think that this church might have been sparked by the teachings of Charles and Myrtle themselves, by people who had come into contact with them in this local area and wanted to take these teachings forward. The teachings that Charles offered then and the teachings that unity offers now have a lot in common and quite a few differences. And most of us who, are, who are, have spent time studying unity would tell you that's probably exactly what Charles put in place because Charles believed that things should change and evolve, that what was needed should happen, and that we should not be stagnant. So Marcus Bach wrote an overview of unity and this is what he said about Charles's creation of unity. Unity, born in truth and fostered in eclecticism, as Charles Fillmore openly admitted, has taken truth from many sources, for truth is one and universal. Unity's awareness of Christ within would, if one wished, be traceable to the early Christian mystics, whether in the upper room or wherever. And of course, the upper room for unity refers to the disciples, doesn't it? To the 12 powers. Unity's emphasis on an inner light and spiritual interpretation of the sacraments reminded me of Quakerism. Quakers have a time of silence. Unity, like Christian science, puts major emphasis on spiritual steps to physical healing. Like theosophy, it speculated about reincarnation and held it as a hypothesis Worthy of consideration. Like Rosicrucianism, it contemplated the idea of cosmic reality and spirit's all-embracing principles. Like traditional Christianity, it thought in terms of the art of deep and sincere worship. Awareness of the astral and psychic manifestations harkened back to spiritualism. Hinduism's emphasis on meditation fit well into unity's pattern for enlightenment. Home blessings... Blessings of the male and prayers for protection have relationship to Jewish and Roman Catholic sources. That's a pretty broad base for unity, isn't it? So sometimes when we have the um, temptation to think, this is what unity is, (laughs) here's what we're teaching, we have to slow ourselves down and recognize that unity is is a... Construct that came out of many, many different kinds of teachings that the Fillmore spent time with. And when we talk about our personal mission statement being inclusivity, we are carrying forth the work of the Fillmores. So when we look around this room, we have people who have background in, in who are Jewish. We have people who grew up Roman Catholic. We have people in here who are practicing Buddhists. We have people who, who have... Practice Sufism and, um, and spent time studying Islamic teachings, we have people in our community who come at this from many different perspectives. And one of our great challenges is to teach in a way that includes all of those perspectives and to learn to, to see that all of those perspectives lace together. That when we talk about most especially spiritual inclusivity, we are not doing it away from the teachings of the Fillmore's, but carrying on the teachings of the Fillmore's. The very evolutionary foundation of how we became unity is wrapped up in that. Stevie, would you throw up that slide I asked you for? This scripture, Romans twelve two, is a foundational scripture for unity. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What Charles Fillmore did was changed his mind. Charles Fillmore watched his wife heal herself and determined that that if it worked for her, it had to work for everybody else. It had to be a universal truth or it wasn't a truth at all. When Charles was 12, he fell and he broke his hip and he damaged the growth plate in his hip. One hip was was uh, one leg was shorter than the other as a result by four inches and he spent most of his um, young adult life wearing a lift in his shoe because his leg did not grow the full length so he decided that if myrtle could heal, heal herself then he should be able to heal his leg and he spent hours doing the same thing that myrtle did blessing his body and affirming the regeneration of his leg we don't know how long it took, but we do know that by the time he died, that his he was walking not with a with a four inch lift in his shoe, but with a half inch lift in his shoe. And so there is some scientific consideration for how much over you, the age of your over your life, how much do you shrink, and what happens? How does your life? How does your body shift? But that would be a pretty big shift, wouldn't it? That he believed that he could live forever if he just figured out how to really live into this belief system. And he did his very best. And it was one of, the great, uh, one of the great challenges of his life was to express to people that he really believed it was our beliefs that were killing us and that we needed to learn to think differently. And so he worked on it. He said, perfect health is inherent in divine mind. The Christ in you is your hope of healing. The Unity Advisory Council, which you may not know that we have, the Unity Advisory Council says this is important. If unity has one cardinal teaching, it is that the true spirit of God to which we all should turn and listen is within us. The true spirit of God is within us. So this is a big deal. This is what makes us different. Because most churches that you go to are going to teach you that God is outside of you. Not inside of you. When we go into the silence, we go in to find that. We go in to connect with that. We go in to bring forth what is really at the core of our very teachings. And as I say that, I have to be careful because what Charles said is there is no creed. Even though we know that this is what he said, a cardinal teaching, there is no creed and you don't have to believe it. Charles Fillmore said, "He who writes a creed or puts a limit to revelation is the enemy of humanity." Creeds have ever been the vampires that suck the blood of spiritual progress in the past, and life can only be kept in the present moment by latitude of thought tempered always by the power that moves the word, namely love." See what I said about 1989 or 1889 words? What's he really saying? He's really saying. You're limiting humanity. You're sucking the life out of humanity if you try and give them a creed and tell them what they're supposed to believe. I can stand up here and speak every Sunday for the next 22 years and I can't tell you what to believe. I can tell you what Charles believed. I can share with you what Myrtle believed. I can share with you what my experiences are and what I have come to believe. But I cannot tell you what you have to believe. That is your work. And I always share with people that I believe that unity calls to it very spiritually mature mature individuals. Because if you're not seeking your divine interpretation of life, this will probably not work for you. If you're looking for someone to hand you God on a silver platter, this will probably not work for you. If you're expecting unity to tell you how you should think and me to know what is best for you, this will probably not work for you. This is a home of seekers. This is a place for you to explore what is true for you. And when we as a community say to someone, oh, that's not really unity. You're not thinking in a unity way. You're not doing that in a unity way. That's not how we do things in unity. And believe me, that happens here. I hear about it. When we do that, we're practicing metaphysical malpractice. We are forgetting where we came from. When Mark and I were in India in 2009, we were in a temple of Ganesh, and we were talking with someone, with one of the monks there, and he said... We have 30,000 names and faces for God. God, goddess. And I said, 30,000? How do you keep track of 30,000 gods and goddesses? And he said, no, it doesn't really work that way. That's not really what it means. What it means is, if you say to me, I was sitting over there next to that tree, and the voice of God came to me. I felt God in that place. Then I will go and listen for the God you experienced there. And if someone else tells me there was God in this rock, I will go to that rock and I will be present. If it comes through another person, I will go there and I will be present. That's really what we have, isn't it? We have the opportunity to listen to each other here and hear all of the different faces and ways that the Holy presents. If we listen to each other, rather than correct each other. And it really is core to our basic teachings that we have that spiritual freedom. Del Deschamps, who was a unity minister and professor at the University of Florida, wrote this. The first and effectively only doctrine of unity is the doctrine of spiritual freedom. Unity is perhaps the largest religion in the world without canon, creed, or doctrine. Its principle and in, in its principle and practice there are no normative teachings. The looseness of unity doctrine means that the literature of and about the movement gives only a partial picture of unity's only of unity's actual practice. Unity is creedless then, not so much because there are no normative teachings, but because the philosophy is open-ended and flexible. This allows for shifts in the religion where there are social shifts in culture. This religion has shifted over the years. In 1889, when unity started, we were in a very different world, weren't we? What was happening in 1889? In Colorado, we were still protecting ourselves from indigenous tribal invasions. We were still fighting savages, that's what we believed. If we were in those tribes, we were fighting invasion. People from from these native lands were being moved on to reservations. People were coming across because of the gold rush. This country was at a very, very different place. And a new religious philosophy was not well received. If If the Fillmores had been alive now, they might speak much more in quantum physics than in biblical interpretation. Because that's where the cutting edge is, isn't it? There are many, many things that have changed over the years that still provide a language for us. And unity is also very flexible and very changing. And it's important for us to know that because if you've been around unity for 30 years or 10 years, if you've been around unity for 10 years, unity is different today than it was 10 years ago. In 2008, Unity made a big shift. It changed its logo. It did a big national marketing research project. And it found out that there are some words that don't work well in today's culture for bringing people to church. One of them is church. (laughs) So they asked their ministers to stop referring to Unity as a church. Are we a church? We're a spiritual center. Are we a church? (laughs) Yes and no. (laughs) Yes, we are, and no, we're not, (laughs) depending upon who you ask and why. In 2010, they asked us to stop referring to unity using the words practical Christianity. Why? Because the words practical Christianity were getting in the way of inclusivity, and inclusivity is what is believed to be needed in the world right now. What we need is to find a way to blur the black and white lines we've created between ourselves. And so unity's focus has shifted somewhat. It, I came in here in 2011. I came in with a really strong background in interfaith ministry. And you will be surprised to know that there are a number of people that think the shift that is taken in our unity church is because of me. But it's because unity is shifting. Because the teachings of unity are designed by Filmorian basic uh, practices to shift to the needs of society. Charles and Myrtle gifted us with spiritual freedom so that we could evolve to provide what was needed in the world what was needed now. Not what was needed in 1889 or what was needed during the Depression or what was needed during the World War, but what was needed right now. And if you go back and look at the teachings of different teachers and compare them to historical activities in our country, you'll find that the teachings have evolved as we've gone through according to what is needed. So what is happening in unity right now is not happening by accident, it's happening by premise. It's the premise that Charles and Myrtle put in place. That we would always be relevant. So, do we toss away everything Charles and Myrtle taught? No. Because the foundational things that they experienced in life are still the foundation that we use in our practice. They're still foundationally true. We still teach... And offer to you for your consideration, do not insist that you believe, but offer for your consideration that disciplining your thoughts and your emotions is the most important thing that you can do in today's world. That considering your thoughts as powerful and life-changing, understanding that your thoughts will move the energy of your life, that it is the divine within you that you are connecting to, to guide your thoughts. These are principal teachings. We still practice meditation and affirmative prayer because those are the things that worked for Charles and Myrtle. And if they worked for Myrtle, like Charles practiced, they better work for all of us, right? Otherwise, it's not truth. So we are unity, and we're different unity. And we are evolving together. And your opinions about what unity is to you are important to share how you experience unity is right and perfect and in divine order for you and could be remarkably different than it is for me or for someone else in the room so the minute that you find yourself saying i know exactly what unity is i i invite you to step back a little bit and say change that statement just slightly i know exactly what unity is for me Right now, exactly, good point. Right now, because it can be evolving and changing. And if you think you're sitting in this room and unity isn't right for you and what you believe isn't unity, if you are simply walking in your own true heart, what you believe is the most unity you can ever be. I have a few quotes for you. These are all from Charles and Myrtle. Myrtle said, Sometimes we pray to a God outside of ourselves, It is the God in the midst of us that frees and heals. Charles said, Here is a mental treatment guaranteed to cure every ill that flesh is heir to. Sit for half an hour every night and mentally forgive everyone against whom you have any ill will. Myrtle said, We have a very decided part. We are to to cease worrying and being anxious, thinking and speaking of the past and of the apparent lack and idleness, We are to concentrate all our attention upon the truth of God and the truth of our own being, upon the very things we would see taking place in our lives. We cannot do this so long as we have negative thoughts in our hearts. And Charles said, the true church is not made of creeds and forms, nor is it contained in walls of wood and stone. The heart of man is its temple, and the spirit of truth is the one guide into all truth. When men learn to turn within to the spirit of truth who is in each one for his light and inspiration, the differences between the churches of man will be eliminated and the one church will be recognized.